Blog Talk Radio. My name is Raina Starr. I am your host. Desperate House Witches is not a G, PG, or even an R-rated show. So, if bad language, bodily function, dirty talk of any kind might upset you, this is not the show for you. And I'll just say that. Uh, Desperate House Witches is brought to you by the one, the only, the incredibly wicked one herself, the amazing Dorothy Morrison. Please check out www.wickedwitchstudios for all of your witching needs. Great products, sprays, oils, candles, poppets, you name it, she's got it. WickedWitchStudios.com. All right, it's First Friday. You know what that means. That means for the hour, my guest, my friend, the only person who can talk me down from the ledge, the amazing (laughs) pagan pundit himself, the amazing, amazing Talisman Govannon. Hey, my friend. Hey, 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 how's it going, everybody out there in Radio Land? <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get into it, what's been going on with you? How's the writing going? Give me all the uh, updates. The writing is steaming along. As a matter of fact, I want to let everybody out there know that they need to go to talisong.com because I have a new section up on the website. It is free short stories. Now, I already started putting up some stuff from Angelique Dupre, my 1,600-year-old vampire from the Sorceress Saga, but I've also started a new series called The Legends of Sarah, and it's about a a woman who is a 500-year-old cursed witch who who basically, because of an energy-raising spell gone horribly wrong, she cannot die until all of the power imbalances in human society are evened out. So she has no hopes of ever dying until the sun goes supernova because she's seen too much shit. But uh, it's all about how Sarah meets uh, Stephanie I. Stevie Graves. She goes by Stevie, a uh, 240-year-old vampire uh, who is also on a crusade to uh, go after men who prey on women. And I'm doing a five-part series about how these two meet over uh, multiple different decades. It goes from the 20s all the way into the 80s. I, I have parts wow. one and two up. I'm, I'm writing part three right now. The short stories are running anywhere from 2,500 to around 7,000 words. So, yeah, you're looking about maybe six, seven pages. Not huge, but it's going to tell a story. And these characters are going to wind up entering the Sorceress Saga in book three, uh, which is what I am, I am working on book three right now. I'm about a third of the way through, and I'm about to have uh, my main character, Annabelle Dupre, go off on a side quest with Trevor and Evelyn Hawkins that's going to take them all around seedy parts of South Africa and the world, and they're going to run into Sarah and Stevie. Uh, so this is kind of like their origin story characters that I'm going to be introducing in the Queen, book three of the Sorceress Saga, which comes out 
in March of 2022. So I've got a right lot on. of things. Uh, I've got a lot of things cooking right here. Uh, after I finish this third short story, which is set in the 1960s, called "Somebody to Love." Uh, that is. Uh, once I finish this short story and get it up on the site, I'm going to be going back to working on the Queen, and uh, just steaming towards having uh, the third book out in March. And uh, I'm going to have a, probably uh, five books published next year, so it's going to be a big year. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> That's very exciting. I'm so proud of you. That's just monumental. Uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, I'm, I, you know, we're really, you know, book three in a series in, in modern urban fantasy especially, where everything is based on series, but a lot of indie publishing is all based on series, especially fantasy books. And book three mm-hmm. is where you really start doing your advertising push because that's when people will finally pay attention to your series. A lot of people will not read book one or two of a series until book three is out because we've all been burned by getting invested in a story that never gets finished. So uh, the book yeah. three coming out, uh, if there's anybody out there who has uh, Bookstagram, you know, Instagram dedicated to books or knows someone who does, or a BookTube, YouTube-type channel, or know someone who does, or would like someone uh, to come on their program and talk about, oh, all kinds of things. I've got a bunch of stuff we can talk about, everything from uh, the need for greater diversity in urban fantasy to the history of occult fiction. Just, you know, go ahead and send them my way. You can contact me through the website. There's a contact uh, tab on callisong.com. Uh, because I'm going to be doing a big push coming up in January and February. Uh, we're going to have some deals. We're going to have some giveaway contests. I just sold a T-shirt today Yay. to somebody who doesn't know me personally. So there's, there's another accomplishment. Uh, so I've just got a lot of things coming up, and it's going to get really, really busy. And, oh, yeah, we're probably going to close on our new house next week. So we'll also be dealing with all the repairs needed for that house before we can move in. So um, uh. free time, what's that? So yeah, I, I can. Yeah. Uh, you know, but you know, it's it's the kind of good busy though. It's the kind of good busy that takes you someplace you want to be at the end. So, well, I'm sure. pretty excited about it. Oh, well, yeah. that's amazing! And, I'm so happy for you. And I will tell you, I'm here to. You know, I pre-gamed. Okay, I uh, I had some some wonderful uh, medical herb called NYC Flow. It's a very nice indica sativa hybrid. So I am well laid back and ready for this because folks, I am here to be a big old breath of sativa and indica relaxation for y'all about politics. Because if y'all been watching the mainstream news, you're probably like, you know, 10 levels of freaking out by now. So let me take a sip of water and we'll dive into this. All right. Something okay. Something so something causes my cotton mouth. I I you know something something causes my cotton <laughs> mouth and yet I have this short term memory loss where I can't remember what it is. So <laughs> All right. Let's talk Virginia. All right. So uh, let's yeah. let's talk please, Virginia. Let's, let's talk Virginia. Okay. Let me let me tell you folks a little story. There once upon a time there are these two little states called Virginia and New Jersey. And they had this incredible, shall we say, schizophrenic nature to their populace where they flipped between Republican and Democratic governors with tremendous regularity. I don't know if I've seen two states in my lifetime 
back and forth and back and forth as much as Virginia and New Jersey do. So really, you know, Democrats losing an election or Republicans coming in in either state or vice versa, Republicans losing and Democrats coming in is not an unusual thing. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a couple of things that I want to go into about the, the Virginia race specifically, but let's, let's take a little walk down history, uh, memory lane here. Let's take a look at history. Uh, there was uh, what a lot of people forget is that George H.W. Bush, Poppy Bush, Bush Sr., the, you know, the competent one, uh, the one who didn't blow his brains out on coke before he got into office. Um, Poppy Bush was elected uh, in 1988, uh, first vice president since Martin Van Buren, to go right from the vice presidency into the presidency. A lot of vice presidents become president later, but like Joe Biden, they wind up taking a cycle or two out before they try again. Uh, and, but Poppy Bush gets in there, and a year later, Virginia and New Jersey, now they're weird states because their elections take place on odd-numbered years. They take place one year after the presidential election every single time. That is just the way that these elections fall. And one year after Poppy Bush uh, came, you know, was, you know, was elected, he was uh, sworn in, of course, January of 1989. And in November of 1989, Virginia and New Jersey uh, flipped their governorship from Republicans to Democrats. So a Republican got elected president, and Democrats won both you know, the governorships of both Virginia and New Jersey. Now let's go to the next president, mm-hmm. Bill Clinton. He's, he's sworn in in January of, uh, of, of 1993. And in November of 1993, the governorships of Virginia and New Jersey flipped from Democrats to Republicans. You notice a pattern here. A Republican gets elected president, Democrats win in these governorships. A Democrat gets elected president, Republicans win these governorships. It's happened every time for the last 40 years. I am not kidding you. Uh, For the last 30 years, at least. Uh, Poppy Bush, Bill Clinton, it happened to George W. Bush the next year. The governorship of Virginia and New Jersey flipped to the opposite party of who was in the White House. It happened when Barack Obama was elected. It happened when Donald Trump uh, came in to office in, to, you know, in 2017. Uh, the next, you know, that next November, it flipped from Republican to Democrat. So whoever wins the White House loses the governorship of both, New, of both Virginia and New Jersey. The last time that anybody bucked that trend was 40 years ago with Reagan uh, in which he lost one of the governorships. The other one stayed with his party. And let me tell you, folks, what happened this time? Joe Biden got elected last year. He got sworn in in January of this year. And a few days ago, he lost one of the governorships. The Democrats lost one, Virginia. The, the, the New Jersey is staying Democratic. So in other words... The Democrats just pulled off something that nobody's been able to pull off in either party for over 40 years and keeping one of these two flip-floppy swing state-style state governorships in the Democratic fold. And yet, you yeah, take a huh. look at CNN, and they're saying that your hair should be on fire. Oh, my God, this is the most terrible thing. No. As a matter of fact, we came out of that pretty damn good. 
and yeah, and let's take a look at Virginia specifically. And I told you earlier in the week, Raina, when we were messaging back and forth, when you were starting to hit your freak yep. out levels, you know, and I, w- I was warming up for, for, for tonight, I said that, you know, yeah, I saw the results in the Virginia governorship, and the Republicans are really going to regret that outcome. And you're like, you know, you want to see how. There's, there's one big reason why. Because the reason why the Republicans were able to squeak out, and I'm calling the people in Virginia who did this Republicans because they're still trying to act like they still have a party. They're not like the Trump Republicans, which is pretty much the rest of the GOP. But the Republicans in Virginia, for one thing, their guy was not picked through a primary. He was picked by a party convention. In other words, political bigwigs said, this guy is electable, let's nominate him. They didn't have to run him Mm -hmm. past the Trumpkins in the primaries, where he probably would have lost to somebody way, way more to his right. And and the guy who gets elected in Virginia, uh, and I can't remember his name he's for you're he's going to be gone in four years anyway let's just let's just uh let's let's just look at it that way but this this guy's not okay. exactly a bleeding art liberal he's pretty fucking conservative but you know he's not trump crazy uh he's crazy and he's misogynist and he's uh racist as fuck but he's not trump crazy that's a special level of fucking crazy uh so he was he was chosen by party bigwigs And they ran away from Trump in this whole campaign. They were saying this is not national, this is local, this is Virginia. They ran that campaign the way they would have run it in any other political environment. And, you know, you and I have spoken before about how the the traditional media has this extreme longing right now. They really wish that we lived in average political time. They really wish that we lived in an era where you could predict what was going to happen next politically. And part of them would really love to pretend that that's still the case. And they got to do that in Virginia. They got to pretend that this guy could actually distance himself from Trump. And the thing is, is that they ran hard on this. And they managed to flip a governorship that was probably going to flip to the Republicans anyway. We, big accomplishment. The thing is, is that this guy's going to get sworn in, okay? He's going to be sworn in. He's going to have to serve as the governor of Virginia for a good chunk of 2022 until we actually get to the midterm elections. Now, he ran away from Trump. Trump went ahead and endorsed him at the last minute just so he could claim the win in case the guy pulled it out. Um, But once this guy gets into office, he is going to start having his problems because the only thing that Republicans are running on, the only thing they're allowed to run on for anybody going to Washington, I guess Trump allowed the governor to slip by, uh, but, you know, anybody going to Washington, the only thing Republicans are allowed to run on is the idea that the 2020 election isn't over. In other words, they're not going to be able to run on issues or any actual ideas if they even have any, which they probably don't. But the thing is, they're going to have to run on that or else Trump is going to call them disloyal uh, and not fighting enough for his cause, uh, for his justice, for his vindication. And this governor is going Mm -hmm. to be expected now by Trump to govern like a Trumpkin, anti-vax, anti-mask, pro-COVID, pro-death, anti-gay, anti-black, anti-Jewish. And if the guy is not sufficient in his... That shit craziness, he's going to get roasted alive by Trump. 
And, you know, so, but the thing is, if he does govern in a way that's going to give him a pass from Trump and the Trumpkins, then any Republican who tries to copy what this guy did next year and say, well, I'm a different kind of Republican, I'm not like Donald Trump, every Democrat's going to say, yeah, you told us that in Virginia last year, and this guy's been governing like a Trump guy because he's terrified of the guy. You know, it's good. Basically, they had this card to play once. Because once the guy actually gets in there, he's not going to be able to distance himself from Trump anymore, or else Trump will take that as a personal insult. So basically, the Republican Party of Virginia has eked out their win, but they're going to have to give a good chunk of their electorate a big case of buyer's remorse when this guy ran as a non-Trump Republican, and he's going to be forced to govern like a Trump Republican. Um, And... If he tries to buck Trump and he tries to weather that storm, uh, that's going to cause even more Republican uh, self-suppression of the vote because they're going to say, see, you can't believe these establishment guys. They'll pretend that they're with Trump during the, you know, they'll, they'll give lip service to stuff and then they'll stab you in the back. You can't even bother voting for these establishment guys. It's going to be a fucking mess. They had one chance to run the, I'm, I'm distancing myself from Trump thing before it was actually going to all fall apart when they tried to apply it. And they wasted it on Virginia, which had a statistical likelihood of flipping to the Republicans no matter who they were. So mm-hmm. that is – they have really blown their wad. They're not going to be able to run like that again because this guy's not going to be able to govern like that. And so everybody's going to see that they were bamboozled, they were tricked. It's like they bought another round of Trump steaks all over again. And it's just going to ruin the chances of any Republican who's going to try to run as a traditional Republican next year. Anybody who tries to run uh, in a Mitt Romney style, they're not going to make it past their primaries. Uh, The Trumpkins have made it plain and clear You have to be down with the crazy. You have to be down with the treason or else you are not going to survive a Republican primary. So they're going to, you know, they had a, they had a night on Tuesday. Yay. You won something that you probably were going to win anyway. Oh God, you were supposed to win New Jersey too. How the hell did you guys fuck that up? Oh, that's right. You got Trump. Okay. That explains that. Um, So yeah. So you know what? This week it sucks. It's frustrating. But it ain't the end of the world. And this time next year, we're going to be feeling a lot better than the people who are acting all happy now. Oh, Democrats in disarray. They're going to be having a very bad November next year. That's, you know, just because they had one chance to pull the I'm not Trump card and they wasted it on a state that they probably could have won anyway. Well, I wanted to ask you about that. Is it? Partially because we ran Terry McAuliffe in Virginia. And I like Terry, but he's not exactly the most compelling figure in the world either. Yeah, but you know what? There's a lot of people in the, you know, in the Virginia Democratic Party, there's a lot of D.C. transplants. There's a lot of Maryland transplants. There's a lot of New England transplants. There's a, there's a certain, a, from a certain cosmopolitan slice of the electorate, basically – establishment Democrats go over really well in Virginia. And, you know, so if there's somebody who has ties to Hillary 
or has ties to Bill or Al Gore or anybody, if you have ties to an establishment politician in the Democratic Party, then you're probably going to do reasonably well in Virginia just because Virginia Democrats like establishment Dems. So I don't think it was so much Terry McAuliffe. I just think that it was a case, again, of a compliant media letting Republicans uh, pull one more con on the American people and sell somebody as something that he wasn't. Uh, And really, again, I kind of think, you know, Terry McAuliffe is not the most engaging guy. And if he's going to go for the governorship of some place, let him run in Virginia. You know, it's, you know, history says he's probably going to lose, but we'll let Terry be happy. And he's not going to try to run for a state that we actually, you know, have a shot of winning that, you know, this one next time. Okay. So I wanted your opinion, excuse me, I wanted your opinion on the Supreme Court and the abortion case that they're listening to right now from Texas. Yeah. And how you think that's going to swing. The forced birth crowd really should not get their hopes up for this particular abortion ban from Texas because of the way that the Texas Republicans structured this. They tried to structure it in a way to get around past rulings on Roe v. Wade. But what they really did is they ran afoul of Supreme Court rulings that were written by people like um, Antonin Scalia and William Rehnquist. We're not talking flaming liberals here. We're talking the Texas abortion law, basically, uh, it goes back to this case. uh, I believe it was, um, I cannot remember what state it was in. I apologize for this. But there, there, there was a case where there was a town that would let their local church say yes or no about opening new bars in town. And uh, they would let the mm-hmm. church say, oh, it's too close to the church, and, you can, and, the, and the town would say, no, you can't have your bar there. And one of the people who was turned down for a liquor license decided to sue, and uh, the Supreme Court ruled that, yeah, you can't do that. You can't turn governmental activities like the granting of licenses over to a non-governmental private citizen organization, not just, it wasn't that it was a church, it was a non-government private citizen organization. It would be like giving the Star Trek fan club uh, veto power on, you know, where new uh, CVS pharmacies get built. Uh, you can't do that, basically. <laughs> government, government services have to be rendered by government people who are subject either to, you know, government hiring practices, or better yet, election to office. You cannot voice it up on private entities. That's exactly what this Texas abortion law does. It allows private citizens to be the ones to go after and punish people who run afoul of this law. And there are multiple cases where the Supreme Court has said, you can't do that. And it's not a liberal or, or conservative thing. It's literally a technical issue of the law and of all people i mean brett kavanaugh um you know fighting Uh through the the alcohol induced memory issues actually was the one who brought up the question that is going to kill this texas abortion law because basically the supreme court has ruled that there is a basic right to privacy that covers health care and that's what guarantees a woman a right to get an abortion because it's a, it's, a, it's a private thing between her and her doctor and nobody else should get involved. And basically, Brett Kavanaugh said, what would be to stop a more liberal state, say like California or New York, to ban assault weapons and have the mechanism 
of that enforcement be private citizens turning in their neighbors who still own assault weapons and suing them uh, you know, for money and thus being the process by which the law is enforced. It, it basically, hmm. and there was nothing, there was nothing that the lawyers for the state of Texas could say to counter that. Basically, yeah, if the Supreme Court lets this Texas abortion law stand, then tomorrow California could enact a complete, you know, weapon ban on anything bigger than a, a revolver and put all the enforcement in the hands of private citizens who are going to have a big financial incentive to turn in people who are still hoarding their guns. And it would be perfectly legal if the Supreme Court allows this Texas abortion law to stand. So it's not going to stand. I really think they're going to find a reason. They're probably going to cite the old case of the bar and the church and the town and the municipality. I can't, again, I can't remember what that case was called. But they'll probably cite that as precedent and say, yeah, you can't turn over government activities to non-government people. The problem's going to happen if a state can actually find a way to get around past court decisions because John Roberts has shown that he does have respect for past Supreme Court decisions, even if he himself disagreed with them at the time. Um, So if a state actually finds a way to get around the previous ruling language without turning it over to the vigilante mob, that's when we're really going to need to worry. And that's when we're really going to need to turn out next year to elect lots and lots of Democrats to the House and to the Senate, and then we can fix the Supreme Court. Either we impeach the living fuck out of Kavanaugh and Thomas, Thomas for clear conflicts of interest. His wife is lobbying for people who are arguing cases before the Supreme Court. That is a clear conflict Uh of interest for Clarence Thomas. So, you know, either impeach and remove Thomas and Kavanaugh or pack the court. Uh, And, you know, that we're going to need people to call to pull together to elect more Democrats and more progressives to do that because eventually somebody is going to find a way of wording a law in a way that enough of these Trump-appointed Supreme Court justices are going to like that's going to give them their excuse to basically serve the forced birth agenda. <sighs> yeah. So the don't worry about the Texas over. law, but worry about, worry about the next one. Don't worry about the Texas law. That was going When Kavanaugh's not with you, you've lost if you're on the conservative side. But it's the next one we're really going to have to worry about. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I don't want people to be complacent just because this law may not stand. And that's what I find happens when, when Democrats have a win. Everybody starts to relax. There is no time to relax. No, no, not at all. As a matter of fact, you know, it's kind of funny earlier today, uh, you know, my wife was looking through and saw a, me- a mention of Howard Metzenbaum, a legendary senator from the state of Ohio. This guy was a fixture for decades, okay? And he finally retired in the 1980s. I met the guy when I was working on one of um, a local representative, a guy named Tom Sawyer, not a modern-day warrior, but a pretty decent Democrat. I was, working, <laughs> I, was, I, was a, I was a teenage volunteer working on this guy's campaign, and I got to meet Howard Metzenbaum. And he was, a, he was just a pissant old fighter. He was just, his attitude was always, when you take a win, you know, when you get a win, don't celebrate, drive, you know, drive them back farther down the field. In other words, always capitalize on your win. Keep pushing forward. If you lose, keep pushing yep. forward. Basically, his attitude was keep pushing forward 
because eventually the other side's going to give up before you do. So that just, you know, that's something that we've got to remember. Whether we lose, whether we win at any individual thing that happens, we keep pressing forward. The point of being a progressive is to make progress. So we keep pushing forward. Yeah. I love that. That is the message. That is absolutely the message. (laughs) Um, Okay. No, that to me is like, that's the gold moment right there. Keep pressing forward. You got to. Yeah. But okay, so let's move let's move on. Let's talk a little bit yeah. about January sixth and um ah. you know, the, the the whole rap into Flynn threatening people and bribes. What the hell is going on? I'm so lost now. Ah. Oh I know. Yeah, well <clears throat> the January sixth thing is just keeps unfolding. By the way, uh little little fun bit of uh news. Uh the woman who said that, uh, who said basically from the video she did from inside the Capitol that she was never going to see jail, just got sentenced to 60 days for misdemeanor trespass. So, <laughs> fuck you. Anyway. Um, yeah. And let me tell you something. The real heroes thus far of the court cases in January 6th are these judges. I mean, I don't know if you've been following this, but there are cases where judges are outright rejecting plea deals because they think prosecutors are being too lenient. And they're literally arguing that there should be maybe 1% of the people getting misdemeanors. Everybody else should be charged with a felony because, you know, the judges are just pissed off at all this. They're pissed off in a way uh, that other people in government haven't shown outwardly, but judges actually have the power to do something about it. So there have been multiple plea deals where the judge is like, no, they've got to do time, basically. And judges are making sure, you know, even if somebody's convicted of a misdemeanor that they could have gotten, you know, probation or time served for, they're getting 30 days. They're getting 60 days. So uh, uh, one guy just got sentenced to eight months for a felony. And, again, there was never any pictures of him hitting anyone uh, there was just a picture of him sitting in the House of Representatives, and he was taking selfies, and he got eight months. So, you know, when the people who are actually on camera uh, beating on Capitol Police with American flags, uh, once they go up to get sentenced, you, you're going to hear some shit from these judges that is just going to reverberate because these guys are pissed, and they are looking to throw the book at anybody that they can. So there, there's a real – and also, by the way, the January 6th committee today announced that they have already conducted 150 interviews. While everybody's wondering about wow. when Steve Bannon's going to get held in criminal contempt, and Steve Bannon is going to jail. There is no way he is escaping jail for criminal contempt of Congress. There is no way that they are going to let him go. Really? Uh, America, oh, wow. no, that – Merrick Garland doesn't feel like he can. He feels like, you know, Merrick Garland, uh, privately people are saying that Garland, uh, you know, would really like to focus on people far above Bannon, but Bannon is exhibiting the exact same, you know, screw you to the Constitution message that was the entire Trump presidency. So let me tell you something. By the time this is all said and done, Republicans are going to be really, really upset that they didn't just let Merrick Garland go on the Supreme Court because he's probably going to fuck him harder from the Justice Department than he ever would have from the Supreme Court. He was a pretty moderate guy for a justice, but uh, 
you know, he, he, he's being the attorney general he has to be for the era, and that is going to be uh, big prosecutions, big time. But while people are wondering about Steve Bannon, they've been getting a lot of people cooperating. And it's a lot of people like uh, people who are currently charged with crimes. There's an incredible number of those people who are currently sitting, waiting to see what's going to happen uh, to their court case, who uh, are suddenly coming out and telling people, oh, yeah, we went to meetings with Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, uh, Matt Gates. I mean, they are naming names of people that they had meetings with inside the Capitol within days before January 6th. And it's obvious wow. that people have been giving tours. People have been given tours of areas of the Capitol where tourists are not normally taken. You can hear it on the video that they themselves shot saying things like, no, 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 the map says that we should go down here. So they had inside help. And I have a feeling that by the time 2024 happens, uh, we're probably going to have a Republican wing uh, in several federal prisons. I have a feeling that uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, uh, and, uh, oh, God, uh, Louis Gilbert from Texas, he's knee-deep in this shit, too, and about fucking time, that little piece of shit. Anyway, uh, but, and of course, Matt Gates. Matt Gates is probably going to get uh, convicted, too, but he's going to get convicted of sex trafficking of a minor before he's convicted of treason. So he's already going to be in prison uh, by the time he gets convicted for his role in January 6th. But, uh, oh, yeah, and the guy who, who got all these girls for Matt Gates, uh, his buddy, the pimp, uh, is cooperating with prosecutors. And they just hired two new prosecutors to look – to look into Matt Gates, and they are specialists in uh, sex trafficking and racketeering, and that's who's currently looking at Matt Gates. So uh, he's going down hard. And uh, <laughs> and so oh, and, and Josh Hawley's going to wind up going down like Ivanka Trump at a Father's Day picnic too. By the time this is all over, you wait and see. He's knee deep in this shit. Oh, can they take Madison Cawthorn with them, please? Oh. He's another one. Oh, we're stuck with him here in North Carolina. Madison Cawthorn is just everything that's wrong with everything. The guy is smarmy. The guy is smug. The guy is disgusting, misogynist, homophobic. I mean, you name the phobia. He's fucking right. got it. I can't. I cannot stand this guy. He is the worst, one of the worst things to happen to North Carolina politics. But I digress, and that's a local story. This other stuff is much more important and and much more far-reaching. I did want to talk about uh, what's happening at the Manhattan DA. We've we've just convened a new grand jury. What's happening with this? Is Trump ever going to jail? What is the situation? I'm so over it. (laughs) Well, the thing is, is that you've got to look at prosecuting Trump like you're prosecuting a mob boss. Uh, If you read Jim Comey's book, uh, he talks about prosecuting the mob in New York in the 1990s, and he said that the way Trump organized his people around him was pretty much exactly the way uh, an old line mafia family would have organized themselves. And how do you take down a a mob family? You peel the onion. You start with the outer layers, and you just keep digging deeper. You keep digging deeper. You find somebody 
who is going to flip on the big guy, uh, and they're working on it. Uh, Alan Weisselberg is up to his yep. up into his cock and balls and all this shit. Uh, there's a good chance his son is going to be indicted. And again, if his son is indicted, I would not be surprised if Weisselberg turned. Weisselberg turns, Trump's toast, Don Jr.'s toast, Eric's toast, Ivanka's toast. The only people who are going to stay out of prison are going to be Tiffany and Barron. So uh, if Alan Weisselberg quits. And that's who they're working on right now. They've literally got people who worked on the Gotti case. They've come out of retirement to work on the Alan Weisselberg case. So uh, there, there's a lot of pressure on Weisselberg right now, and it's just wondering what is going to be the thing that makes him flip. Because he may be willing to go to jail for Donald Trump, but he is not going to let too many people in his family go down for this guy. So, uh, you know, right. so this, this, you know, the, the thing is, is that these cases take time. There's a lot of paper, there's a lot of dead ends, and there's a lot of just working people until they cooperate. And it takes time, but the important thing is to get it right. You don't want somebody getting sloppy and letting Trump get off on a technicality or anything like that. Uh, you know, they're going to mm-hmm. take him down. The, the, Man- the Manhattan DA wants Trump's head on a fucking platter. And, uh, you know, and, and, the pers- and everybody who is working on this wants The People in New York have hated Donald Trump. They, they hated Donald Trump before it was cool. Okay, people in New York have hated this guy way longer than most people outside of New York have even known who the fuck he was. So uh, exactly. you know, they're, they're working on that. And don't forget, there's also uh, two grand juries in the state of Virginia uh, looking at things, and there's two grand juries in the state of Georgia. And you're also good, you could also see charges against Trump and Rudy Giuliani coming out of Georgia, uh, probably just in time for the midterm elections. Interesting. I was going to ask you about Rudy. I haven't seen him in a minute. What's going on with that? Oh, well, he just had to give a deposition uh, in a in a court case, in a lawsuit, and he got grilled uh, on the lies he spewed during the election. So it's uh Wow. Yeah. It's a thing of beauty. It's a thing of beauty. I love that. You it know, is? I, I, I have wanted for so long to see some kind of uh, justice for Rudy, uh, or to Rudy, I should say, for, I mean, and to think this guy yeah. was a respectable, a respected mayor at one time, I mean, as a native New Yorker, you know, uh, I actually respected him as the mayor before he turned into this thing that I don't recognize. It's amazing right. to me how Trump could turn people into fucking zombies I mean, it's just astounding, you know, and I I was talking about Trump and Bill Clinton yesterday, and I was saying how, you know, they're both two intense types of glamouring, one for evil and one for a lot less evil, (laughs) you know, for good. (laughs) Well, you know, um, if you read, yeah, I was going to say, if you read Jim Comey's book, though, and talk about his time when he worked in the uh, in the Manhattan uh, federal uh, you know, the federal prosecutor's office, um, Rudy was very very good at having people around him massage his image. Basically, it was a case where everybody in the office did all the work, and whenever they'd have a breakthrough in a case, Rudy was the one who walked in front of the TV cameras. 
he was the one who uh, talked about it, and he usually took credit for most things that he, and most of the things he took credit for, he didn't actually do when he ran mm-hmm. the federal uh, prosecutor's office in Manhattan. So the fact is, is that, you know, Rudy has been a narcissist for a very long time, and the thing about when narcissists get uh, around each other, if they actually form an alliance instead of a competition, their narcissism feeds each other. Look, this big, important American mayor is supporting me. Look, the president of the United States is asking me for advice. If they feed each other's narcissism. So Rudy, was al- you know, mm-hmm. Rudy was already a few grandmothers shy of a fam frat before Trump came along. It's just Trump took off the filters off Rudy just like he did off of every douchey guy in America. True enough of that. Seriously. I mean, I and I and I I know I always ask you this question, but I've got to ask it again as always because until something else happens, it's it's still a fear of mine. Is Trump going to run again? Uh, well, you know, all the signs are pointing to him running again in 2024. Now, there's a few problems. There are rumors floating around that uh Trump is not doing too good some days, uh, post-COVID problems. Uh, mm-hmm. he's been, you know, there have been rumors floating around that he's been having breathing issues. Uh, I could easily see if he decides that his health is too wrecked, he could try to anoint his son or somebody like that, and that would never work because they just they don't, you know, they, you know, they're they're not just morons like that, Trump. They don't even have his degree of media savvy. I mean, I can admit the guy can work a crowd well. Uh, and his kids can't. Yeah. They don't. They have zero charisma. But you know, he's planning on running again. Now, you know, it's going to be hard to run from Rikers, which is a good chance he could see Rikers Island. Uh, he could run, or you know, in any of the New York penitentiaries, any federal penitentiary. Now, being in prison does not mean you can't run for president. Lyndon LaRouche ran every year in the eight. Every time there was a presidential election, he ran like all through the seventies and eighties. And uh, he was in jail for, like, three of those elections, and there was nothing saying that he couldn't run. But, uh, you know, the thing that that would keep Trump from running again is if his health really, really tanks. Uh, And you never know. The guy is not that healthy, and he's been running on uppers for a long time. You never know if he's going to make it to 2024. But if he does, he's going to run. But by that point, I have a feeling after next year's, after next year's midterm elections, there's not going to be much of a party left because after they get trounced in places they shouldn't get trounced, and by the way, Ohio's going to be a safe pickup for the Democrats next year. Uh, there's a guy, I, this guy is just such a mealy mouth uh, worm. I, his name uh, escapes me at the moment. But, you know, you, you watch politics a lot. You've noticed, you probably noticed in your state, if there's some, if there is a politician that, Nobody thinks he's going to lose. They'll have a sacrificial lamb go up against them in the election. And it's usually somebody who runs all the time for things and never wins. Because, mm-hmm. you know, they're, yeah. they're a good, dependable party person. Well, there's this guy. Um, oh, God. Uh, I cannot remember his name right now. He has run, like, to show you how unimpactful this guy is, he's run for the Senate in Ohio four times. And I still can't remember his wow. name. He got the... He got the nomination for the Republicans twice already, and he's lost both times. He lost to Sherrod Brown last time. And now they're running him again against Tim Ryan, who's currently my 
member of the House of Representatives in Congress. He's a good he's he's a he's a Youngstown guy. He's a blue collar, you know, steel worker Democrat union guy. And uh so shared Brown, so come uh twenty twenty three, Ohio is gonna have two good old fashioned blue collar union type Democrat guys as senators from Ohio. I uh, the Republicans have you know, because there's a certain allure to these blue collar guys. They're unlike any other Democrats people see these days. They're, they're, they're nothing like, I mean, they're a lot more like Joe Biden than they are Al Gore, Barack Obama, or Bernie Sanders. You know what I mean? You know, one of those like slap yep. on the back type of guys saying, you know, Hey, how's it going? How's the wife? Oh man, that sucks. Come on. Let's go over and have a beer and talk about it. These kind of guys. That's exactly. what Tim Ryan's like. Yes. And the, Republic, the Republicans are running their sacrificial lamb against him, so they've already pretty much given up on that race. Uh, so, yeah, the, 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 we're going to pick up a seat next year. And let me tell you something. You know, if we start seeing multiple instances where the Democrats are going to have 52, 53, 54 seats in the next Senate, uh, you watch Joe Manchin change his tune real quick. Because as the minute there are 52 Democrats, Manchin and Cinema are going to get ghosted by large chunks of the party. Yeah. They're fucking done with them. And pretty much the only reason that they haven't ghosted them and stripped them of their committee assignments already is that they need them for those 50-50 votes. And, uh, and if they completely alienate Manchin, he's probably just going to switch to the Republicans anyway. Uh, so you watch. If Democrats get, especially if they get 53 if they have a 53-seat majority, you watch Manchin and Cinema are going to be marginalized hard fucking poor. So, and let me tell you something. Once poll numbers start to float back, and you're going to start seeing polls of next year's races start coming out around December, if you start seeing too many races mm-hmm. floating towards the Democrats, you watch Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema lose their principles, whatever principles unnamed amoeba-like amorphic principles that they're claiming – Watch those change real fucking quick, because the last thing they want to be is irrelevant. But I kind of think it's too late. I think as soon as Democrats have enough numbers, yeah. they're going to be made irrelevant. And that's what things are doing. Absolutely nothing oh, but obstructing, and I can't even figure out what their end game is for doing this. I just I don't understand it. Um, you know, well, this was the time Manchin, for Democrats to be in power and, and get things done. Well, you have to understand, Manchin comes from the DLC-style Democrats of the 90s. You know, those people who said that the way to beat Republicans is to act more like them and try to win on charisma. And uh, then you saw the yeah. Democrats keep losing the House over and over again in the 90s because of it. He comes from that mold. And Cinema, she's just... She basically she's one of those people I say not popular enough in high school types. Basically, she's got a spotlight on her that she wouldn't have otherwise, and uh, her and Manchin are both enjoying the attention. But like I said, I think they pushed their game too far. Manchin always had a good sense in the past as to when to negotiate a way out of a sticky situation. Uh, I think they played their hand too far this time, and I think that there's enough establishment people who are done that, again, once they're not needed, they're going to become yep. extremely irrelevant, probably primary. Yeah, and, you know, I hate saying that I encourage that, but this is a point where I do. If you're not even going no. to side with your side, 
then what good yeah. – I mean, not that I want to lose a majority because obviously we can't afford it, and that is the only thing, right. as you said, that's giving them any kind of power. But the, these people need to be neutralized. Mansion needs yeah. to be irrelevant. And cinema, I don't, I don't understand. This is not how she ran. I don't know what happened. Um, I find this aspect of it very upsetting and confusing. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, if you're not really, I mean, what you're you're not even playing the right side of things. I don't get it. I mean, you know, who thinks that it's a smart move to run as a Democrat in the 21st century on ideas like women don't deserve uh, paid sick leave to take care of their kids or husbands don't have or fathers don't have deserve to take care of their kids or take care of themselves or shouldn't have uh, paid child care. I mean, Jesus, who runs, who thinks that these are winning things to run on? The fact of the matter is Joe Biden's Build Back Better agenda is extremely popular and anything that gets passed is going to look good. Uh, you know, we're not going to get everything we want. They're going to push something through because, trust me, Pelosi has pull outside of the House. She is working this hard uh, because she really wants to have a lot to go into the midterms next year. Because, you know, even though only about a third of the Senate is up for reelection, the entire House is up for reelection every two years. And Pelosi wants to have some big signature stuff to run on more than what they've already done. And they've already done a lot. But, you know, they want it. she wants to have more to run on, and she is working things. She's working things hard. And this is one of those instances where people, again, I hate to, you know, sound like the, uh, sound like the, uh, the uh, establishment voice here, but having some contacts with establishment Dems who can talk to the big money donors can be very helpful. Because, again, the one thing that's going to make um, Manchin, at least, move on these things is if he starts getting calls from his donors saying, hey, Joe, we don't like the look of this. you got to change it if you want us to support your next election. That's when he's going to change. And I have a feeling that Nancy's probably working some of these bigger donors to try to get them to intervene to try to get some stuff through. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, Nancy doesn't like to have a vote uh, unless she's fairly certain it's going to go through. So I, I have exactly. a feeling that this is whole. This is holding up some uh, progress, as it were. But, um, all right, so the last thing I wanted to ask you about was if you had heard about the Texas lawmaker who's trying to get certain books banned. Here we go back to that. I mean, It happens over and over, yes. Yeah. It's something yeah, else. I mean, that, that's just – It's like that is – Basically, you know, you know, the Republican, the, the ashes of the Republican Party is where the inmates are running the asylum. Uh, you know, and shit, I mean, don't forget, you know, people think, oh, my God, they're still trying to ban some of these books. You know, haven't they learned after all these years? Let me tell you, folks, there is still an American temperance party who is running on the idea of banning alcohol. You know, kind of been there, done that, but there's still a fucking party out there dedicated to it, okay? In other words, there's dead-enders everywhere. But you got to love some of the things that are coming up. And I've just been noticing that um, karma, the bitchy side, has been having fun playing with Republicans lately. Um, because there was this 
case in Arizona. Uh, and I don't know about too much about the Texas guy. I run into these yabos all the time. They always get attention because it's you know it's kind of like it's liberal rage uh, rage stuff going. Oh, what the fuck is wrong with these people? But these people, we're not dealing with the sharpest crayons in the box. Okay, we're not yeah. dealing with with masterminds here. And this guy in Texas is probably going to fuck himself because there's a case in Arizona where there was this uh, supposedly this woman who died who voted anyway. And they're saying, see, this one isolated case proves that there was all of this fraud in Arizona and that ballot was probably cast for Joe Biden, yada, yada, yada. Well, now it turns out that the woman who uh, somehow her ballot got cast, even though she had died a few years ago, turns out her husband filled it out and voted for Donald Trump in her name instead. And so now, and, and, and now there are a few people in Arizona government who are considering resigning because they had backed this guy's story all the way and this guy just got indicted. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, they don't learn. They don't learn. Every time they, they look, every time they look for, for, ele- for voting fraud, they undercover. They uncover Republican voting fraud, because that's who's doing it. They're doing it to try to prove pe- to people it can be done, but they're the only fucking ones doing it. It's so hilarious. And here's another thought that can make us all of us liberals go to bed feeling much better tonight. All of those violent okay. yabos who uh, from January 6th who are charged with felonies in their states, they're not going to be able to have guns anymore after they're convicted. So the January 6th treasonous insurrectionists took their own guns away. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's hilarious. <laughs> Every, everybody's was... always so freaked out and worried. Oh, my God. If, if Democrats get elected, they're going to come and take my guns away. No, we're not here to take. Listen, if we wanted your fucking guns, bitch, we would have had them already. Are you serious? And now exactly. you are winding up taking away your own weapons. Boy, are y'all stupid. Your oh. laugh is damn near cackle. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had much reason. So anytime you give me news like that, yeah, the old witch well, hey, comes out. What can I say? <laughs> I want to, you know, if you guys want to have some more fun with uh, liberal, uh, shall we say, I don't know, I don't want to call it wish fulfillment, but fun in the new short stories that are on the talismanv.com website, uh, I've got, of course, uh, Sarah, the 500-year-old cursed witch, and Stevie, the 240-year-old vampire. Uh, I have them battle two particular bad guys in the first two stories. Uh, the first bad guy is named Donald McConnell. I'll give you one guess where each of those names came from. Um, and, uh, and in the second <laughs> short story, and in the second short story, they are going after a gang who is bringing in underage girls for the sex trade, and they're operating under the name of the Trump Card Modeling Agency. So, oh God, oh, that's hilarious! <laughs> oh yes, oh yes, oh yeah, and, it's, it's, and you'll enjoy these too because I literally there is literally these two characters having a meet 
execute in this one story over the battered and, and bloody body of a guy who was, you know, horribly abusing women and that kind of stuff. So there's a, just, there's a lot of juxtaposition humor that I think people can enjoy a great deal. Uh, so, and uh, so definitely check out com. Go to Free Short Stories. Uh, coming up later this month, I'm going to be posting a holiday short story starring Trevor and Evelyn Hawkins called The Ghosts of Solstice Eve, where they have literally just a few, they have a few hours overnight to solve the case of a young woman's murder so that her soul can be set free. Uh, and that it was a, it was a short story that I made a, uh, available to my Patreon patrons exclusively for the last year. And when I post my new holiday story uh, this year for my Patreon patrons, last year's is going to be published. So if people want to read more of my short stories, uh, you can join Patre- my Patreon. Uh, I'm there under Talison Govan, and you do a search on Patreon for Talison Govan, and you'll find me. And there, even as low as a dollar a month, you'll get exclusive uh, access to my holiday short story. You'll have first crack at buying books when they come out, and you'll have first crack at videos when I launch my new YouTube channel after the first of the year for a dollar. So, you know, you, it's, it's really hard to go go wrong there. Uh, so definitely check out my Patreon. Check out check out com. I got a lot of stuff happening, and I'll be letting everybody know through those mediums. My brother, thank you so much for coming on and spending the hour with me and talking to me down. As always, I love you to pieces. No Can't problem. wait till next month. Right. <laughs> right, and I, I am going to go down and I'm going to hit the bat pipe. So I'll see you folks uh, next time. Same bat time, same bat channel. Chalison out. Right on. All right, everybody, that's it for this week. I will be back next Friday with the amazing Mortellus. And I will also have another show on Saturday, like I do. So I hope you will join me. It's going to be a great week next week. And I hope you all stay safe. Take care, everybody.